Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. It is me, your host, Sanderson Jones. And on the Lifefulness Podcast, we talk about, you know, the big questions in life and, you know, the sort of topics which are all about uh, how you will be able to live your life as fully as possible. And today we've got an amazing guest. Uh, her name is Emmy Brunner. She is a psychotherapist and runs Europe's, I believe, largest outpatient clinic, the Recover Clinic, based in Soho. And she's written a book which is all about trauma and how you can use it as a lens to heal your inner voice. Now, there's going to be some people who hear that and are like, oh, inner voice, trauma, and uh, think that, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't really apply to them. Some trauma is sort of people falling out of buildings or being in war zones. And look, I'm I'm sort of in that place myself, or I describe myself in the podcast actually as trauma curious of uh, knowing that it clearly affects some people in a huge way, but you know, is it useful to look at uh, a life, uh, you know, a life which doesn't have some major sort of like Hollywood style disasters in it? But uh, yeah, this conversation was really useful for me. Uh, and uh, I think it'll be really useful for you. We spoke about how trauma can limit what we do in life, you know, limit our ambitions, how uh, we end up sort of cultivating a sort of one inner voice, which is helpful and uplifting, but then also a negative one. Emmy's just great company. So uh, look, I'm going to get out of the way and pass you over to her. Uh, though, well, final thing, final thing, uh, the podcast is one part of the life of this project. We also have our community. So if you want to go and get involved, find out more, then go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership uh, because we discuss these and sort of, you know, support each other in how to put this stuff into action. So here is Emmy Brunner. And so welcome, Emmy. Hi, thanks for having me. We are going to talk about your book, which is all about finding your inner voice and healing your trauma because you are a very, very accomplished psychotherapist. And the whole idea behind the life on this podcast is we go and talk to people about sort of ideas which are vital for, to be a happy, healthy human, and you definitely qualify. But we've got a particular angle where lifefulness comes from adapting the lessons from the spiritual community uh, and congregations in a way everyone can take part. I just thought I'd, uh, we always like to start off by asking what was the religious, spiritual, philosophical or meaningful background to your childhood? So um, I my I wasn't raised with any kind of religion, um, but when I was probably about 12, I started to have a real leaning towards a Catholic faith, which was mainly grounded in the fact that I saw the kind of media um, representation of Catholics as being really close families and big families um, and often hosting kind of very intimate get-togethers and very loyal um, kind of folk and so um, my dad got a shock one day when we only had landlines back then a nun called the house to speak <laughs> to me <laughs> I was like 
um, Sister um, Mary Frances. I don't think that was her name. I think that was the nun in Sister Act, actually, that I've just okay. <laughs> 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 uh, Sister Ma Mary Frances is on the phone for you. I was like, great, thanks. He didn't ask me about it again. Isn't that bizarre? So um, that was kind of the beginning of it. And I went and had met some met, met the local priest and met some nuns and quite swiftly realized it wasn't quite what I <laughs> anticipated but I did love the idea that there was a space that you could go and I didn't have a close family and I didn't have those kind of intimate uh, opportunities uh, that I saw being represented by having a kind of a faith I guess in something um and over the years it's really evolved massively and I've been kind of curious um and I think it's impacted my clinical work massively as well because I realized people were becoming increasingly isolated and what religion any religion offered was almost the same thing that the Girl Scouts offered or the local Y offered or your local youth club it was somewhere to go somewhere to be accepted hopefully and to be able to be and share and talk and you know find comfort and when I set up the clinic that was a real kind of aspect to how I wanted that community to develop because I wanted to set up a therapeutic community it wasn't just a therapy center it was a space where people could just come and be even if they didn't have a session that there would always be someone to talk to there would always be someone to listen to sit down and have a cup of tea with um and for me I guess that's what I saw church representing for a lot of people it's where it's, it's where people were able to go and I think what's been sad about religion really is that as people have withdrawn from those belief systems they've also withdrawn from those communities and become increasingly isolated and now we have this sort of sense of connection which is a bit false really through the internet and social media, but really we're human beings. We thrive on being with other human beings um, and we learn intimacy and we learn how to, to kind of accept different generations, different walks when we're exposed to those communities and something in that has changed. And I think even in my own life in Brighton, I'm so concerned with the lack of exposure to diversity and, and this, you know, this is in Brighton. It's supposed to be kind of this cool, hip crowd. And do you know what? It's, it, it is in lots of ways, but it really, my kids aren't being exposed to kind of the diverse communities that I was growing up in the middle of Birmingham, which is where I'm from. Um, it's a very different kettle of fish. So I think, I guess I've drifted a little bit from the first question of what my religion was growing up. But I think then since then, personally, I've used, I became obsessed with Sufism. I was really into Buddhism for ages. And I think I was just looking at those points for some sense of myself in this world, some sort of existential kind of context, I guess. Um, and comfort, I suppose, in some ways, particularly when I was in like the darker periods of my life. Um, and I guess it's evolved into something that I can sit with now and I don't know what it is it's certainly not religious in a in a what we would mean by that in a 
modern context but I suppose when I think about what God means like what does that even mean what you know we imagine some sort of bloke with a big beard and and I just I love it when Glennon Doyle refers to God in the feminine pronoun I just think it's lovely just this idea that what on earth are we talking about when we're talking about it as if it's some person um, and I came to kind of rest on this idea that I recognized that love was everywhere and I saw love in people and I couldn't see it but I knew it existed and I couldn't touch it but I could feel it and then I thought well what is God meant to be something that is everywhere that you can't see that you can't touch but it is always has been always will be and that came to mean the same thing to me it's a long answer to that question well at no point (laughs) did I want to intrude because the more you spoke the more you got onto our territory like going into your clinical practice like though it's this is the life on this podcast because uh, I started an organization with a friend of mine called Sunday Assembly. There's actually a Sunday Assembly in Brighton. It got labeled the Atheist Church, but in fact, it was just looking at how can you have all the best parts of a congregation in a way everyone can take part. And that's what I, you know, exactly what you're talking about, those things which are missing. And they're even. You know, a Catholic church is crazy diverse because you are, you know, you've got Poles there. You've got, uh, there's a friend of mine who lives in uh, near you in Sussex, uh, who is quite funny. I asked him, he's a wonderful uh, gay guy. And I said, and you know, with you being gay, do you feel, find any sort of difficulty in your community? And he's like, going, oh, I, I don't think there are any men who are straight in my church. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then, yeah, and so, and people just go there nevertheless. I think in like some of the modern sort of uh, charismatic churches, you go and find the one which is just for you and sort of people in Catholicism have sort of accepted, look, no one really likes it, but you go anyway. How can you have a place which goes and answers like, both that like existential question, that sort of mm. community question, the question of growth. And in a way, I think something's sort of lost if you deal mm-hmm. with them in different places. If you're like, going, I'm going to go over there for that. I'm going to go over there for that. And, you know, your answer was so good that you pretty much nailed our second question, which is what could a secular world learn from uh, uh, learn from religions? I think you just also nailed it in your first long and very mm-hmm. rambling answer uh, <laughs> the, uh, but what we're here to talk about is your great book which i uh have i'm gonna i've told you already that i didn't quite finish it but i've really liked it and it is uh all about healing trauma and you know this idea of what's our inner voice and uh, i think that for a lot of people well, not for, but there'll be some people who hear the word trauma and they'll just be like, oh, that's just a nonsense thing or whatever it might be. But uh, I, I feel there's a fair few people who are a bit like me who are like trauma curious. Like you sort of like go and you uh, think, oh, yeah, okay, there's probably some things in my life which I could have sort of see uh, connected to trauma, but could be. But at the same time, uh, you know, I didn't sort of go into a burning building. I didn't uh, sort of witness a village being murdered so it'd be great to start off just with like uh for instance what's the difference between trauma and ptsd just to give people a sense of the playing field so i think post-traumatic stress disorder we would 
normally associate with people who, as, as you say, have witnessed kind of catastrophic events, um, super traumatic and terrifying experiences where they have felt that their life or somebody else's life is in jeopardy. And how the body then responds to that is almost on like a high alert, like a sense of being uh, in a hypervigilant state where they're constantly reacting still to that trauma, even though they're maybe not still in the scenario where their life or somebody else's life is threatened. And trauma, as I would describe it, is more when you've had a challenging or traumatic experience that has wounded you emotionally somehow um, and that you've struggled perhaps to process that event so if we all experience trauma that's the nature of being a human being um, we all experience difficult things we experience death we experience um, loss and other really difficult things and and what it really comes down to is what what are the tools that we have to be able to process and deal with these things because as human beings we're we're programmed to to deal with uh, challenges really effectively through a grieving process we have periods of being shocked we have anger we have distress and actually it's a very um organic process to being able to process trauma um, and what happens is when we are resistant to that process or unable to tolerate the process we become a bit stuck um, and when we become a bit stuck then we're unable to kind of move forward with life and that's when things get a bit sticky and a bit difficult for us. Um, and the extent of that, that completely depends on person to person, because what we do is develop other ways of trying to cope and manage that trauma. Um, and that could be for some people abusing drugs or alcohol. It could be avoiding relationships. Um, for, the, for the most part, I'd say everybody that I've ever worked with, the common thread is a struggle to be intimate in relationships with other people um, and, and by the way what i want to do is because sort of, i've been thinking about this quite a lot is almost to go through this and just ping you some questions that i have about it in relation to me so you maybe send me an invoice at the end of it or just consider this like <laughs> uh, a sort of chemistry call but you actually still charge for those don't you so <laughs> hey ho uh, but before we get into that it'd be good to just go and uh like introduce like your uh you know, quick capsule overlook at your career and how you sort of got into psychotherapy and sort of what, what interested you about trauma? I think um, what got me into therapy was probably being schooled in a family dynamic where I rescued everybody um, and my needs weren't really prioritised. I was always really good at listening to other people. I was always good at um, prioritizing everybody's needs above my own so a therapist role was a fairly easy one for me to fall into um and at the beginning I think that's what it was that's what happened I wanted to help people I wanted to help people man and then I went and worked in a 12-step addiction facility um and I got exposed to some interesting people um the director at the time was an American woman who'd done a lot of trauma work, really accomplished clinician. Um, and her ideas were, were slightly misaligned with the facility that we were working at. She was quite interesting, sort of hippie, amazing person. Uh, so what was the what was the disconnection? Was it very Because I think she was she had a more evolved idea of healing than just put 
addicts in a 12-step treatment center and get them into AA or NA or whatever it was there was a narrative there about that these people have stories and these stories we need to think about somehow um and I think when I started working there what I saw was everybody being kind of funneled into the same rooms men women women from a 18 years old sat in rooms with six-year-old blokes and they just something just didn't seem to feel quite right and then forcing these people into real intimate situations where they were telling their life stories they were talking about all the things that they'd done the consequences of their illnesses and addictions when it felt it felt quite traumatizing it felt really exposing and uncomfortable and the other thing that struck me and I was such a rookie then I was only young I thought how are you going to, how are these people going to cope with this shaming experience? Because they were so ashamed of who they were being forced to talk about it and then being sent back out into the world. We already know what their coping strategies are. They like to get on it and get on the gear or get pissed or whatever it was. How are they going to cope? You're not giving them tools to cope. And so it seemed to me the logic sat in giving people strategies rather than insisting on taking away their tools for coping which were serving a purpose albeit destructive it was serving a purpose that you really focused on what you wanted them to do more of rather than making all the focus on what you didn't want them to do and also and that, that identity as well that yeah. you are an addict you are an addict and that is it yeah. for the rest of your life and I don't care that and these are I don't care you're 18 I'm telling you now you will never be able to go out and drink normally have you met the people from club soda no yeah really interesting we had her on the podcast and that was for her she was like I want to drink less yeah. <laughs> like it's a, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not an addict I've, I've got I've, I've like I'm drinking too much yeah uh, like I'm not going to be this forever I can and she found that a lot of these things just didn't really work for a lot of people but yeah. like if you if you say that in front of some AA people, whoa, 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 they will come. Yeah, it's basically. really challenging because AA is a wonderful resource. But do you know why? Because it's a group of people that are diverse who will listen to you. It's free. It's everywhere in the world. And isn't that kind of a loop back to what we were talking about before? Is what works about that actually those things? things those key things about community and I think and a place of comfort to go where you're not going to be judged for all those crap things you've just done um and so I thought maybe there's a, a different way and I left there and set up a private practice and immediately in clinical practice I just attracted young women like me basically sort of five or six years pre previous and I'd grown up without tools to cope I just I couldn't I was really anxious um I had kind of this constant hum of depression I was eating disordered I'd self-harm um I never I, I drank and took drugs but I wouldn't I was kind of a fairly lazy addict about it I didn't really I was never really committed to the <laughs> cause um I just uh, was in a kind of destructive way of being without any one of these things ever fully kind of pushing me off a cliff relationships were horrendous I just went from one abusive relationship to another 
Did you ever get that feeling of just being a bit like, I wish either either like the drink or the drugs or one of these would go a bit further in one like recognizable direction where it's then like, that's the thing. I, I grew up in a really boozy household. So I think I probably fantasized that that was a bit worse than it was. I think I was like, right, that I'm good. That's it. I'm going to be an alcoholic. And I remember a, a, a girlfriend of mine at the time being like, um, I'm not, I'm not sure that you're going to be, I think. <laughs> you're not. Sorry. To <laughs> you're not yeah. yeah. Um, and I, and I went to some AA meetings with a friend of mine and it didn't resonate. It just didn't connect for me. Um, and I think what I started to see in some of the people that I treated was what I saw in myself, just a struggle to cope. And more than that, just a fundamental low level or high level, depending on who the person was, sense of self-loathing, mm. just not liking who you are and being ashamed of who you are, being ashamed for wants and needs um, and for me just finding it absolutely impossible to be intimate with people and so I sought out people that weren't available for intimacy mm. because that was easier for me I think even though it was painful and horrendous in some ways it was familiar um, and kind of carried on riding that wave until I didn't until I stopped so that's how you got to into this work and, and I'll, I'll show you what I'm going to bring you my question here because I've been sort of really thinking about this. I've got, I was diagnosed with ADHD uh, late in life. And so I've got all manner of sort of things with like going, you know, why on earth doesn't this work? You can't work. Other people can work. You can't do these things, which other people can do, but then trying to figure out uh, how, you know, doing that impossible thing where you're trying to figure out the one, the ADHD from the fact that, after a, a long time of having these really unhelpful behaviors, which you hate, like how does, you know, they start to, the thoughts around it start to interact with the actual uh, what's going on. And uh, so then as I was contemplating this, cause sometimes I get into these, it's actually sort of last week after I moved house, like these like almost, it feels like sort of slow moving panic attacks of inaction, not harmful action. And there's, when I was reading your book, I was like, you know, that really, you know, resonate, resonates of like doing something which is not helpful to where you're going. So I've sort of asked you for the general question, but also like from this specific thing of like, that's something which I'm trying to figure out. So I'll answer whichever might be in whichever order you like. And I'm also not asking you to diagnose me. No, I think I guess what it sounds like is, it, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a jumble. I think it sounds like there's a couple of things there, which is one is this kind of hypervigilance of your own state and witnessing that and trying to control that somehow and being resentful of, of yeah, of how you are, of how you are rather than accepting of how you are. Um, and the other point, oh, I'll come back to that in a minute, but this resentment of how you are and trying to control that rather than em embracing that. And I find this, this is so true for myself because I think fundamentally, I, I think everybody is creative, but I think I think creatively. I don't think very, very linear ways and I'll often go slowly, fairly complicated ways of solving problems and things. And part of what I've done as I've got older, I think I've embraced the fact that I don't think 
as kind of normally as everybody else and that I do think in this sort of more um creative way and that actually that these are real gifts that I have and I need to treat them as gifts rather than sort of curses and try not to control them but kind of stop swimming against the tide kind of thing just go with the flow a bit more and let go and I think across those themes when you talk to people in recovery or healing they talk about letting go a lot it really makes sense to me now this idea that we're, we're constantly trying to control everything our experience and how we react and behave to things rather than just being almost like observate ob, observers of our own experience ob observators that's yeah the, like yeah. just look, looking at ourselves <laughs> and going oh, that's funny that I did that or that's weird like why did I why have I reacted like that that's interesting and being a bit more curious about what's motivating us or triggering us in a moment from a compassionate perspective rather than a critical one and I think that's where I just simplified it in the book as thinking about having this unwell voice just this horrible kind of bully in your head that's just unkind to you and um sabotaging and that was the other word that came to mind when you were talking something about this sabotaging this kind of fixating on something to a point where it becomes debilitating and then you sabotage something whether it's progression or uh, you know something evolving any further because you've got too stuck in thinking about it um yeah the uh there's i've got a question to ask you about the well or unwell voice and there's just a bit of i always find it tricky when speaking about these uh things and i know there's some people who've got some very different ideas on the source of adhd etc of mm. when talking about it mm. uh, of really like trying to unpack that of like you know almost like if you're speaking to someone with autism about it how can you like the advice mm. which would make sense perfectly for someone with uh who is more neurotypical that we're all different in some ways mm. but then there's still a bit of me which is like really trying to figure that out of like what part mm. is sort of normal good advice and then what part is like you know there's actually brains work differently but sometimes in a way which is problematic but Anyway, I just wanted to like yeah, yeah. You know, just noticing that in myself. I've mm. I've had therapists when I've I've just been with them, and if you've got ADHD, it can just be or I have ADHD, so it can be tricky. Like if you you don't feel that it's honoured in the right way, and I'm not yeah yeah them, as you can tell. Uh, so mm. then yeah, this thing you had of between your like because that's what your book is about. It's about that like in that case there might be some like I've got some unhelpful. Uh, ideas in my head I've got this voice which might be critical like yeah and you started talking about, like what's that difference between the unwell voice and the the well voice and like what did why did it speak to you because I think that the unwell voice is something so many of us I think put faith in and ultimately it's not serving any sort of productive purpose mm. it's just there to harm us emotionally or physically so it generally just ends up encouraging us to engage in a kind of in the script that we have created for ourselves unknowingly so my my idea is that we're all living by a kind of a script a life script that's been curated through all of our experiences growing up through things that people have told us through experiences that we've had through 
direct um, guidance or advice from parents or caretakers and that the lives that we're living is really kind of seeking out people and experiences that are going to reinforce some of those core beliefs that we have so when people talk about oh manifesting my reality it's like we're all manifesting our realities like we're all kind of creators of our existence because everything we're doing and seeking out is based on our belief systems of what we think we're capable of and and what we believe we can or can't do and therefore we seek out people and experiences framed by those beliefs and that's fine if they're helpful but if they're not helpful it's really damaging to us and until we become kind of aware like awakened to what those belief systems are we're not really in a position to do anything about it and so just from the point someone's been listening to this they're like yeah trauma well i've got to give it a listen uh, maybe yeah. there's something here like i could uh but like I could see this might be relevant to me. Oh, and actually, if I look back on my life, maybe not all the thoughts I have are helpful. Like what are some of the, you know, these tools that you've had in order to help people go and like retrain how they, how they sort of speak to themselves? I think primarily, I think people do have that reaction and, and think, uh, I mean, that sounds a bit woo woo or, actually, I can't identify with this sense of having trauma or just really blaming of themselves, you know, just actually, I just can't quite get my shit together or I'm just, I'm this or I'm that. And I think they, they're not really curious about where some of those casual, that casual negative dialogue they have with themselves come from. We're not curious enough about it. And I think when you get people to just think a little bit about what are the origins of some of these thoughts, do they even belong to you? Have you inherited them? Political beliefs is a great one. If you ask people why they vote a certain way and really give them opportunity to think about it, some people don't even know. They're like, oh, you know what? I think, I think my parents, and it's like, yeah, there you go, of course. Because we're so influenced by our environments growing up and what our parents tell us, that inevitably we're going to view life through a lens that's being affected by them and their beliefs so it's when you become curious and you can start to think about actually is this an idea that I'm really invested in do I even understand it do I even know where this comes from well the other thing I see people do a lot is they have a whole set of rules that they apply to themselves that they would never apply to anybody else they're so much harder on themselves they're so less forgiving and you ask them how they'd react to a close friend who'd had that experience or behaved in that way. And they're like, oh, you know, of course, people get things wrong. People make mistakes. And yet when you start having a whole different set of rules for, for yourself, you've got to start thinking, why is that? So in answer to your tools question, the first one is get curious. Start to kind of consider having higher expectations for yourself what you were saying there about having those sorry it's just going back to that well and un, unwell voice i think one of the things which really resonated with me is that when i went to this uh the therapist i think it was, you had to go and write it was some sort of exercise you have to go and look back on your life and go and say what uh, various foundational things and i found that i like two stories i was just like well it like literally depends how i look at it either i'm a or else like actually the stuff that I've done is really worthwhile and and it's that feeling of like it depends like which voice is winning at any given time and and the sort of 
the strangeness which for me is and, and i think this this is why this analogy works quite well is because otherwise you can feel a bit like disconnected when you're like well a lot of the times i go and play out with this rule and i go and have uh this idea of myself and i know i'm blessed i'm hashtag grateful and what have you but then something will kick in and that's when the other rules come in yeah and that, that's when we're triggered so particularly and this is where trauma becomes so relevant for us is then people say something do something you find yourself in a certain situation those triggers those old core beliefs um, are kind of hit on and you're back in that place where you're in a shame space or you feel like you want to play small or You've, you can't find your voice or whatever it is, but it will be triggered for you. And the more you become aware. So if I get triggered now, I'll know in the moment I'm being triggered. I'll know going into a certain situation that I might be triggered in, in certain scenarios. Um, but just because I've got to know myself pretty well. And there's a real comfort in that because you're not just then reacting to you, reacting to an experience, you, you've got a bit of distance from it. You're able to kind of almost see yourself coming in a situation and think this, this might be difficult for me. How can I give myself a bit more support in this scenario? You know, or I might get a bit defensive here because I'm going to find this a bit triggering. Um, and you get to know yourself a bit more and you're able to respond a bit more compassionately to yourself. That's obviously where the, the insight part comes of it. And I'm sure I, I do this because I want to make sure that I don't get caught in the talking about things which, you know, I will know about and you will know about. And then there will be, I'm sure there's many of our listeners who are far smarter, but I always like to imagine that there's someone who's just coming to just sort of like getting their head around this. So like, then if you're like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can think of myself being like triggered, I can think of actually these times I regress, like, and, and you said something about playing small, that was something which, like, it reduces your, like, your ideas about yourself. And like, I'd love to just explore that to like, because on the other side of that, it shows what you can gain if you're able to deal with it. Yeah, there's massive potential. We've all got massive potential when we're able to recognize the limitations that have been kind of put upon us either with the with this belief system or obstacles that we've found in our way i think simple things like if we if we grow up in an environment where we're told we're not very smart we don't go for jobs that we think are too i guess smart for us that we won't be able to do it that we, we're not we're not accomplished enough we then end up working in more menial roles. It then reinforces the belief that we're not smart and it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because we have unconsciously sought out scenarios that are going to reinforce those core beliefs. Same in relationships. I'm not lovable. So I'm going to seek out people that treat me like crap and they're going to treat me like crap and then I'm going to feel unlovable. And the whole thing continues. So we're, we're really very powerful in the, the world that we're creating. And I think when I first kind of came to terms with this, I found it quite scary because I realized actually I was going to be quite powerful in totally changing things if I wanted to, but that it was going to be up to me that if I wanted to change my entire life, I could. And that scared me massively as well, because I was like, oh crap, this, what am I going to do then? Cause I'm going to have to do something quite different if I want things to change. I can't carry on doing what I've always done. Yeah, that and that thing is uh, something which I really resonate with because uh, there's 
so having started Sunday Assembly, and I've had a few things like this where I'll be particularly with ADHD, where there'll be some things where I find it harder to get certain stuff aligned. And in a creative career, you actually, there's a lot of admin I don't fucking tell you about. Uh, and then uh, starting Sunday Assembly and suddenly this charity like went viral and viral is great, but there's an awful lot of emails involved in viral. And then you're, and then it's just basic. I and mean, there wasn't much money. So it's like, oh, well done. Here is your one way ticket to being hugely overwhelmed by administrative tasks. And now in constant communications with thousands of people who really want to hear from you. I was like, oh, great. I've, con I've actually can created an anxiety dream. Uh, and uh, yeah, accidentally signing up for the job that I would never apply for. And the, but there is, I think, something where I don't know, there's something of like recovery from those sorts of situations, a bit like relationships as well, where before you try again, if you're like, if you go, if you've tried and then something hasn't worked, that you sort of almost have to psych yourself up. And I'm, I find that it gets a bit harder as I get older. You know, those things sort of maybe, you know, they calcify a bit. Uh, but yeah, you had that thing of like really thinking about where that voice might be holding you back, which I think that's where I started this sort of rambling, yeah, rambling monologue. And I, I, I totally and I recognize that as well like in um in business because I'm a therapist but I also own two companies and now run the biggest outpatient clinic in Europe I didn't mean to do that and and at each step that that growth happened and things evolved it was really overwhelming because it wasn't really my plan and um I think partly what I learned to do with from a creative perspective and learning how to manage a business was to recognize that I was going to make loads of mistakes and I read loads of stuff about um, business but from kind of creative entrepreneurs and there were so many common threads when I read those things around overwhelm around not being prepared for those kind of levels of growth how you respond to it how you learn from it and I recognized that the whole process the whole journey was just going to be one that I was going to have to just roll with and learn from um, and then subsequently I've just had to slow myself down now with projects and things and not take so much on take things a bit at a time and I kind of have a bit of a, a notebook next to me constantly for a, like a little brain dump of ideas and different things that will have to wait for another time because 10 years ago I just decided to do all of them every time I had those ideas and that just became completely unmanageable yeah, I've now realized that I need to have a bit of a break between ideas of just yeah. like going, oh, you know what, actually, uh, uh, stop that one right there. Mm -hmm. It's it is not time, particularly because like you, you go and start doing one thing. And and by the time it starts to get up and running, you're like, you know, it's yeah, starts to get up and running. Now. It's a bit bored yeah. of it. And then yeah. you're like, go, oh, this thing could totally yeah. exist. This should exist. It's, Why doesn't it exist? Well, it's exactly it. It's the curse of the like the creative entrepreneur. And now quite often as well, I'll call other people up or voice note them and say, listen, I've just had this brilliant idea. You need to go and set up this business. This is what it's going to look like. And I'll just dump it on someone <laughs> else. And that way I can't use it. I can't do it. But somebody else has got the idea if they want to run with it. And that's been nice. I did that uh, recently to someone who was, I've been speaking to my 
increasingly uh, I have started to think that private education is one of the biggest cancers in uh, British society and uh, and I thought it would be great to do some sort of public health camp like to instead of like merely you know remove charitable status so they have to start paying VAT be like no it should be taxed like smoking and people should be ashamed of it like smoking maybe you should only be able to stand outside if you went to private school but that would get me as well but uh but then i, I was just like this is just going to go round and round my head unless i go and send it to someone else and suggest that they do it uh but uh yeah because otherwise it goes can be overwhelming uh and I guess since you released this book, is there like one particular part which you've found that people have responded to the most, or uh, is it do people just universally go, "Oh my God, Emmy Bronner, you're amazing at everything," <laughs> and once again, everything <laughs> equally amazing? How did this happen? I think I think the stuff around um, life scripts, this idea that mm. we've got some control over things and that we're not just passengers of life is something that's quite revelationary and but also just so relatable to everybody i think partly the 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 reason i wrote the book is because this just makes so much sense to me it's so it's so logical mm. it's not me being super smart it's just do you know what this is what i've witnessed for the last 17 years in clinical practice without exception this is the case for everybody and when people get on board with this idea and start being kinder to themselves and nurturing some different strategies for taking care of themselves their lives get better and there is no exception to that rule and so if we all do it we're all just going to have a nicer time of it no matter what our journey has been and some of us have been for a lot more than others mm. um but yeah. So what did you, like we've touched on it before, like what would you say you changed your life script from and to? My God, like completely radically from literally hating myself and not being able to bear With good to reason. even look at, to look at myself. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to look at myself too. I never thought I'd be able to get married and have a nice relationship with somebody and my marriage is like an epic love story it's unbelievable to me and being a parent and having a really lovely life I feel really grateful all the time and I didn't think that that would be possible for me um and just basically day to day not being shit to myself not hurting myself in some way I can still find things very um difficult and um, by learning to love myself I had to let go of a lot of other people and there's a lot of loss associated with that um and can you talk through that a bit because I think that's going to be something that people find quite and it might be difficult because you don't want to upset them or what have you but uh yeah what was the what happened there I think it was a, a me or them scenario. And I think that's not the case for a lot of people. I think for particularly with family, I think you can learn to put in boundaries in relationships where you can maintain them and they can no longer be so harmful to you. And for me, in some cases, that just wasn't the case. It was just devastatingly awful. Um, and I couldn't like take care of myself if I was going to be in those relationships so I had to just end them 
and I think there's something just with family it just stays with you it's not like a friend that you once had that you let go of they're they are literally part of you and it and it's sad and it'll be sad for me forever um do you mind me asking how it was I one I have two brothers and one of them I don't haven't seen or spoken to for many years at all um and I have quite a limit limited contact with yeah with my own like immediate family members but I think as a, as my own my own family grew with my husband and everything that changed things that 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 intimacy of what we had um I stopped thinking about my family as my extended family and started to think about my family it just changed in my head um and I realized that yeah that sense of I'm gonna have to let this go if I want a different existence and that's I'm gonna have to mourn that and grieve that I don't have some of those things that other people have or you know um take for granted you know being uh, the proud uh, holder of five sisters, uh, which is uh, great. Yeah, that's something which I uh, I don't know why I suddenly started talking about my family. It's been so big. It's like saying, you lost your legs. And I go, that's going to be tough. I love my legs. I love to have a run around. I love to run around the block each morning. Oh, my God, Emmy. It must be so sad because legs are great. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, And then, uh, so we've got our hypothetical listener who's now starting to come around and thinking, you know what, uh, these two people, they seem quite normal, even though they're maybe a bit more Well, well hang on there. A bit wooer than uh, other people I know. So then you had this thing of like identifying your trauma. So like what, you know, how would someone go about that if they're like, you know, want to go and find out? uh exactly who to blame for their uh for their personality i think first of all i think it's about yeah i think it is about looking for forward rather than back and i and it's not necessarily about unpacking loads of trauma that can be really traumatic actually you need to validate it you need to have your experiences validating and if you can't do that yourself you need to share them with somebody who you trust to do that for you because what we do with difficult things is we minimize them and say, oh, you know, it wasn't such a big deal or actually there are people far worse out there. And, and as soon as we do that, we really minimize our experience rather than going, do you know what? That was a bit shit, actually. That made me feel kind of crappy. And as soon as we do that, I think that part of us that has not been heard or seen is suddenly seen and heard. And I don't know that there's anything more important as a human being than feeling seen and heard. You know, we at the moment we live in a we live in a society where people are just begging, begging to be seen and heard. And we're denying it, denying their existence, denying the fact that they're silenced, ignored, um, minimized, that their needs are minimized. And it's it's just so appalling to me. But I think just starting with ourselves, just be your own best friend, like honor your truth, honor your truth as a human being. And whatever your journey has been, that's your journey and just own that. And it's, it's not about what everybody else is doing or has done. It's just about you. And, rec- and this is where I think there is something kind of divine about what it is to be human you know that you are a joyful being because you're a human being and you are worthy of love and respect because you're a human being 
and that's what unites every single one of us and we're encouraged to see ourselves as so separate and fractured and we're not we all want the same things and and soon as we kind of unite under those things I think we're able to come together rather than being pulled apart uh, yeah I find I might do a quick uh, divine translation for people who so I'm a, a total athe bum uh, down to my believe in nothing bones but you will say I, I go to uh sort of charismatic churches and i'll sit sing this because i love to get ideas and get really jealous of how good they are at it and i'll swap the word lord with life and i'll be oh like oh life is outrageous life is i'll just be you can't translate the songs about the crucifixion easily uh but but that i think that idea of being divine there is i think that language can be really helpful because when we go and connect to it it that's what it feels like you know it's that same if you are from a secular total secular viewpoint like people would go on top of mountains and if you don't eat and you just sit still and you just listen you get something switches on which feels as though it comes from another place it's truer than anything you've ever heard it doesn't have a single word or fact attached to it and as you said if you go and and if a lot of people feel that the you know, together, then that is a togetherness unlike anything else. But I also think that it's that there's a tendency uh, amongst hard scientific people, certain type, I'm sort of creating this sort of imaginary group of uh, Dawkins-esque dickhead, but uh, to be like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, it's just a feeling, you know, it's just like, a, you know, you take magic mushrooms, you think it's not really, but, but actually it's that feeling of being connected is we fucking are connected. Like we are we are impossibly connected this pen which I'm holding on the video screen i have got there's i've got no idea to make no one single person knows how to make a pen like they because every single thing is way too you've got to have 17 phds to make it's part of a plastic pen and so and it's actually in that moment of truth that one your trauma disappears right like in mm -hmm. uh in mm -hmm. like even if it's just in the moment like it's true. It is, you're not alone anymore, are you? You are just you're you're this feeling and you are joy. You are mm -hmm. you are experiencing something which life has never given you or you found it really hard to accept or where, whichever way you look at it. And it reveals something which we know is true, but find very hard to connect with, uh, except in situations which in the secular world are hard to replicate. So uh, if you're if you're resistance to the D, and by that I mean divinity, uh, then uh, don't be my secular friends. It is a useful idea and concept. Uh, so yeah, and I just oh, I, it's just humbling, you know. I think it's just humbling, isn't it? To just I don't I don't care who you are, like being in nature, especially mm. witnessing a sunrise or a sunset. It's humbling, isn't it? It's humbling because something greater than you is in you are witnessing something greater than you that you are separate and part of in yes. that moment and just go with that don't don't worry about the language don't worry about the rules just go with that if that connects you that's your kind of sense of being connected to spirit and if you don't like that word the universe if you don't like that word the, the world like whatever yeah. it doesn't matter the human spirit like yeah just let go of the rules and 
and just go like go into things with an open heart and I think then everything changes people get very scratchy about this stuff and and anxious about it um, and I think when the kind of sense of otherness that I'm talking about isn't threatened by any other person's ideas or mm. perceptions of what those things mean it just it's like yeah cool man it's <laughs> a love I'm so yeah, pleased cool. to love, man. Yeah, it's a lot to be said for that, isn't there? I mean, there is certainly. I'd love to see yeah. a, a footnote, uh, and then at the bottom, <laughs> underneath it, just a yeah, cool, man. Uh, all right, yeah, very cool, good. Man. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. I will make sure I'll go and run it past your people to make sure it's uh, correct. <laughs> uh, the uh, Oh, this is, uh, it's the end of our chat, but I, uh, or not, but, and I feel uh, very sad because it's been an absolute delight. Uh, I uh, will, uh, I, I'm going to stay in touch with you, whether you like it or not, because uh, <laughs> I love your vibe and your work. Uh, and actually, you, obviously, you do have consent to that, uh, but I will try hard <laughs> because you're great. Uh, and uh, yeah, Thank I'd you. really love to, the, the overlap between community and congregations and adapting them is okay i will yeah. like i said talk to you about it again but other people would like to hear from you in a book form and where can they go and get your latest book they can go to all of those fine quality online establishments or they can even go into a bookstore you uh, can now Waterstones bookstore yeah and get the book um and it's called find your true voice and yeah and it's written for people like me 20 years ago who would have fallen off their chair if they'd heard me having this conversation with you then um it would have felt a million miles from where I was then um and not in terms of my own personal development just the concepts of it I would have been like what um so uh yeah it's definitely for for anyone who is a skeptic because um, mm. that was me yeah 100% uh, well, look, thanks very much for this uh, uh, podcast, but then also some uh, little personal reflection time as well, which I will uh, please invoice me for. Uh, thanks so much, Emmy. Uh, I'll be in touch. No uh, props. Uh, all the bestest. Take care. Thank you so much. So that was uh, the chat with Emmy. Uh, I, oh God, she is a very cool woman who is also blank hyper hyper accomplished not that those things should be separate but wowzers she has got stuff done and you know just seems really chill I mean I totally did not expect her to go into all of you know to have thought about sort of church in quite that way and like the life on this project there's you know lots of different parts to it there's this podcast which is about sort of trying to you know spread these ideas but there's you know we're also looking at how to actually build a, a field of practice oh look what on earth is that uh, but that is uh, what that means is like to go and find people who could go and take the ideas of lifefulness and put them into practice in other areas and so whenever I meet uh, someone like Emmy then I you know think oh that's a great ally to have and so uh, that was wonderful and I, I guess I'm sort of thinking about uh, the, the the trauma aspect. It's quite weird even 
Now, after the podcast, I feel slightly uncomfortable sort of using the word trauma about my own life. Whereas when I was sitting down to speak to Emmy, it felt as though, oh yeah, oh yeah, well, let me talk to you about my trauma. And yeah, I think it is so useful because those sort of experiences affect us all. And uh, everyone is carrying around, well, not everyone. Uh, don't write in if you're the person who is totally sort of unweighed down by any negative thoughts. You're 100% positive the whole time. Congratulations. I'm impressed. We're all impressed. Uh, but we don't like you anymore for it. Uh, the, yeah, that, you know, we've got those voices and, you know, looking at the the roots of it and, you know, trying to understand like what caused it, not to, you know, merely sort of dwell in it and ruminate even more, but to actually think, like to have strategies to get out with it is obviously super important. So uh, yeah, uh, that's about it for today. Like I said at the start, if you want to go and get involved in uh, the life on this community then uh, you can go and find the link below yeah the small groups are just going really well and it would be great to have you involved uh, yeah just so you know the like how the the idea is that these small groups will start off online but then as there's more people near you then it can move to in person and then let's say it gets to there being you know, 100 people in small groups in an area, then it could become an in-person community. So it is a way of trying to help people get from, I'd like to have more community near me, to there being a community sort of in small steps. So, uh, all right then, uh, thanks for listening. We love you. Thanks to James, even though he wasn't here. Uh, thanks to Maz for editing this. Thanks to uh, Roman Rapak and Miro Schott, who created the music that you're listening to right now.